Welcome to Voices for Life on KERI 1410 AM, a production of Right to Life of Kern County. And now, here's your host, Marilee Schreider. Good morning once again, and welcome back to Voices for Life on this um, warm June morning. We're just delighted to have you with us as always. And back with me is uh, Judy Goad. Good morning. Good morning, Mary Lee. How are you? I am well. Thank you very much. And um, just wanted to remind everybody that last Saturday, in case you missed it, we were talking with Pastor Steve Swartz of Grace Bible Church of Bakersfield, and we were talking about what the church's role should be in fighting abortion, and and we um, talked a lot about that. But um, the good pastor kept steering us back to the scripture like they tend to do. And so we're going to give him uh, more time with that today. We want to dig a little bit deeper spiritually in, in in the scripture to find out how, while, while you don't find the word abortion in the Bible per se, God has a lot to say about life. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, I was going to ask a question last Saturday and we ran out of time and um, Pastor Steve Swartz wanted to to tackle that question because it really, um, you know, one of the, what I'm going to ask about really infuriates Christians, I think confuses a lot of Christians too. So good morning, Pastor Steve. Good morning, Mary Lee. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me back. Oh, absolutely. Um, in recent years, uh, we've seen religious leaders showing up at abortion clinics, uh, you know, opening in, uh, throughout the country. They're there to bless the work there and um, bless, um, you know, others who are among the most ardent defenders of abortion. And so they're out and they're in their, you know, garb with their their gowns and, and sashes and stuff. So what would you say to pastors, priests, or other church leaders who send such a remarkably unbiblical and confusing message to people? Well, uh, as you found out probably the hard way last time, I don't mind just saying what I think, and, and that's, that's what you have to do. Um, a, a priest who does not believe the biblical gospel has bigger problems than just showing up in an abortion clinic to bless it. Uh, that's that's a whole separate issue, mm-hmm. but I'm, I I will restrict my comments to uh, what we might call evangelical uh, pastors, okay. which is a term now that's so broad that doesn't mean much. But to the evangelical pastor who calls himself evangelical and shows up to say, "Yes, I'm going to bless this," um, he's he's already drunk the Kool Aid. Right. He is not um, going by what the Word of God says. He's going by what his culture says, and has now made himself a self-made authority that because. I'm here in whatever garb that makes me look more ministerial, that that's uh, assigning a stamp of approval on this. And and I think your question was, what what would I say to those yes. men? Well, I would say either stop or get out of the ministry because you're, you're absolutely misrepresenting God. And it infuriates God that you go there in his name to bless something that he hates. He hates it with all of his heart. As a matter of fact, I think about Ezekiel 34, where God condemns the unfaithful shepherds of Israel, and he has many strong terms for them, and he basically says, I gave you my sheep, and you led them astray. You led them off cliffs. You wouldn't feed them. You told them the wrong things, and he's furious with that. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't want to be in those shoes at all. No, neither would I, because there's a lot of um, very wounded women walking around today, not to mention 60 million um, dead babies. That's right. So, yeah, that's that's a lot to answer for. Um, now, Pastor, we talked last week about um, you have two very hard-hitting, very right up, what did you call it, right up in your face? 
I, I don't know how else to preach. I've been told that's the only way I know, so I guess that's... It, it works, it, yeah. but but it was also, there's some compassion there, there as well. There has to be. There, there has, has to, to be, be. And, there, and it was certainly there. But the you one of your sermons was the spiritual heart of the abortion advocate, and that is was about a year ago now. And, of, of course, I wanted to remind our listeners that you can go to the um, Grace Bible Church of Bakersfield website at gbcob.org. And uh, click on sermons and, and look up those sermons. I encourage you to do so. It's woo, it's good stuff. So um, Pat, now I, I have to say that, um, let's see, what is that presidential candidate's name? Pete Buttigieg? I never have tried to say it out loud. Okay, so I, I think that's pretty close. But anyway, he said, you basically, you can be a Christian and support abortion. And so you said... No, you can't. Absolutely not. Okay. You can't. So... Um, yeah, you said that an abortion advocate cannot be a Christian, that the, be- the belief that the abortion of a pregnancy is a morally good alternative to an unwanted pregnancy is absolutely incompatible with Scripture. So now we're, encur- you know, so we're encouraging listeners to, to visit and, and that website and listen. But can you give us kind of the condensed version of, sure. of that sermon? Well, of first of all, so- the, the, the basic premise is, or the, the, the problem we have now, it used to be the... Christians versus the pro-choice people. It was a real clear demarcation. Right. Now you have people writing books saying, I'm a Christian and I'm pro-choice. And so now the lines have been blurred. Now, the same thing happened with happening with the sin of homosexuality. That's another issue. But so, so now we have to draw a harder line in the sand. So in this message, basically, uh, and I, I, you have to listen to it and understand how I did it, but basically what I did was I went to the Sermon on the Mount now, it takes me 45 minutes to get there, but I went to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he begins this sermon with what we know as the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. What the Beatitudes really are is we could call them the qualities of a kingdom citizen. Somebody who's been born again, um, who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what they're like. This is what the changed nature, the new nature, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So this is what they're like. Yes. Um, and so basically what I did in preaching this message is, is I preached the opposite of these qualities, and they all fit the pro-abortion advocate. And so I'll, I'll just give you the quick list. Okay. The pro-abortion advocate is sufficient, meaning that they judge themselves to be morally upright to make these decisions. But in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, this is a quality of a kingdom citizen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Christian is insufficient. We're, we're poor in spirit. There's no goodness, no morality. We have no basis to make a moral judgment. We're, 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 we're sinners before an angry, righteous God. And so we're not sufficient. The pro-abortion advocate, secondly, is deceived, I said. And what, what they're deceived about is they're oblivious to the horrors of the murders that they're condoning. They're seared in their conscience, as we talked about last week. But Jesus said, next, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The the Christian mourns his sin. He's in shock over his sin, in shock that his sin was so bad that Jesus had to die on the cross to pay for his sin. So there's a mourning there. The pro-abortion advocate is haughty and and, and arrogant. Um, They arrogantly claim this moral high ground in the name of uh, uh, defending the rights of women. And they say that that's moral. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The Christian is small and insignificant before God. Um, The Christian says, 
not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, from Psalm 115. So there's, there's not to be a sense of haughtiness. Uh, the pro-abortion advocate is self-righteous. They don't have a sense of needing to be made righteous before God. They're proclaiming righteousness on, on their own. Um, they, they have their great causes called reproductive health and a woman's right to choose. But there's no hunger for real righteousness. But Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's what a Christian is like. The pro-abortion advocate is merciless. They kill with impunity, with liberty. They execute babies, by the way, in a way that's illegal to execute capital crime criminals. You, you can't execute a criminal in a state penitentiary by ripping his arms and legs off. Mm -hmm. They're merciless. But Jesus said, blessed are what? The merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The pro-abortion advocate is impure. They lie. They're dishonest. They're deceptive. They keep acting like science has not shown that life begins at, at conception. They keep acting like sonograms are irrelevant um, and certainly keep acting like the Bible has nothing to say about this. But Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, that, that there's, a, there's an, a purity and an honesty to a born-again person. It doesn't mean we don't lie, but it means that we're convicted about it. And we, and we don't do it as a lifestyle. Right. The pro-abortion advocate is violent. Um, they're swift to shed blood. They have no fear of God. That's what Romans 5 uh, talks about, being at war with God. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers. Not only do we make peace among people, but we make peace with God. We're, we're no longer at odds with God because of the cross of Christ. Um, but they're violent. They, they kill. Romans 3 talks about that they're, they're, they're swift to the shedding of blood. Mm -hmm. Their pro-abortion advocate is a persecutor. Uh, here's the real irony, Mary Lee, is that they, they take this moral high ground and say, uh, you know, all you, all you Christians are so wrong about this. But what are they actually doing when they do that? They're persecuting us. They're persecuting those who would take the Bible and say the Bible is the standard by which we judge what is right and wrong. And they'll throw that out. And if they had their way, they would throw us out. And I know this because they've thrown 60 million babies out that they don't want. Mm -hmm. So it's just the next step to murder me or murder people who disagree with them. Um, but they're persecutors. But opposite of that, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Meaning we stand for the gospel, and if that gets you in harm's way, then so be it, because that's what Christians do. Right. And then finally, the pro-abortion advocate is a reviler. Um, a lot of people don't know what the word reviler means um, anymore. It's kind of an older word, but it's a great word from Scripture that means a, an abuser. Right. They're, they're, they're those who uh, revile and abuse. What's the... I mean, I know we have a lot of women listeners who understand the dynamics of abuse that somebody bigger and more powerful is having their way because they can. If abortion isn't the greatest example of reviling and abusing, then I don't know what is. Yes. Because this is a, this is a child who weighs ounces, being ripped apart by a, by a doctor, um, who, and that child has nothing, uh, no power. But opposite of that, Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you on my account. So in other words, the, the Christian takes the low position of being reviled for the sake of Christ. Now, that's a really, really short version. I took an hour to explain all this. But, but basically, going through that checklist of nine things that are qualities of a kingdom citizen, of a born-again Christian, the, the pro-abortion advocate doesn't meet any of them. 
they're not even close. They're not neutral. They're against every one of those things. Right. So they can't be born again. Wow. Now, you know, somebody's going to say, are you telling me that there's not, there's not one pro-abortion advocate that isn't born again? Um, yeah, I am. There, I am. And, of course, there is a difference between the advocate and the young woman Totally different. Right. Because we do know statistically that uh, young women of faith, either Christians or Catholics, there's a percentage of both that do have abortions. They do. And, and they're, they're often tricked. And it might not be in the moment, but it might be that they've been raised to believe this. They've never questioned. Um, that a, you, know, you hear the phrase, a woman's right to choose. When you hear that 10,000 times from the time you're two years old, you simply believe that's what's right. Well, and this generation, uh, this young generation right now, they've never known a world without abortion. That's right. Where, I mean, where, where abortion wasn't legal and just something now that, you know, in a couple of years, they'll be able to have a uh, chemical abortion on their college campus. Just go to the, to the health, health student right. health thing and get their pills. So. And, and I'll say this, too, that the pro-abortion advocates, especially the ones that are making money, um, they have two things that they would fight to the death for. The first one is the money. Yeah. 35 abortions a day on average um, in, in a given clinic by one doctor, that's big business. That's money. huge money. Yeah. And now you've got you know, your mortgages on four houses. You've got uh, you know, 18 cars in your driveway. And you've got um, a wife and kids and maybe a girlfriend that are all expecting you to maintain that lifestyle. So mm-hmm. there's money. But the other thing that they'll, go, that they'll die for, nobody in their own power can face the idea that I may have been murdering babies my entire career. Nobody can face that. You must have the grace of God to face that. And so they're highly motivated to keep tricking women because every woman they trick is another notch in their belt that says, okay, what I'm doing is right. Look, I'm, I'm enabling her to have a career. I'm enabling her to not ruin her life by having a baby when she's 15. I'm enabling this and that. I'm doing such good work. Mm-hmm. And so they have to keep saying that to themselves. Otherwise, their humanity couldn't let them continue. Well, and as a matter of fact, we do uh, in the pro-life movement have former abortionists. And almost down to the last physician, it was a the road to Damascus moment when, whoa, what have yes. I been doing? And, and uh, the, the one that comes to mind and was featured in Abby Johnson's film Unplanned was Dr. Anthony Levitano, who said one day he was doing an abortion and he pulled out the remains of a baby he had just killed. And he said, all I could see was somebody's son or daughter. And it yeah. changed his life forever. That was after about 14 abortions he'd um, performed. And now he's been spending the last, and he will spend the rest of his life uh, trying to make or trying to make it right yeah, in the pro-life absolutely. movement, and his voice is an important one. But yes, it's very hard for them to comprehend. Judy, did you have something you want to jump in? I just wanted to say, Pastor Steve, I listened to both sermons that Mary Lee has mentioned, and one thing that made it easy for me for when I have those conversations is when we're out at the outreach at the college, we heard the word choice a lot, and I noticed right. in your sermon you use pro-abortion advocate, not right. a pro-choice advocate. And you explain that so well in your sermon. Could you explain that to our sure. listeners? It's a hypocritical uh, uh, position. It's a hypocritical label. Because if they truly believe in a woman's right to choose, there are 30 million dead women that would say, why didn't I get to choose? They're just dead baby women. They didn't get to choose. So, so I reject the whole notion of pro-choice because they don't really believe it. They believe in... In what they believe in is a life that does not have consequences for sin. 
Um, the whole reason abortion exists is because mankind has mangled um, God's plan for marriage. Yes. And God's plan for a man and a woman to come together as a married couple, have children, and be faithful together. That's why abortion exists, because I want sex before marriage. And now, of course, they'll start, well, what about rape and incest? Right. Um, I don't believe in murdering babies for the crime of somebody else, and the Bible wouldn't say that either. But no, I, to your question, Judy, um, I don't accept the pro-choice label because it's completely hypocritical. It's totally hypocritical. If that's the choice, if that's, if that's how they really feel, then they should say, well, that, that fetus should have an opportunity to live if it wants to. Well, we don't know that. I, I, I think we can say with pretty, um, with, with pretty good confidence that 100% of babies want to live. That would be their choice. So it's a hypocritical position. That's why I don't accept it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, we hear from people who are uh, dis- developmentally disabled or they are Down syndrome, and they say, you know, would you please stop pointing to me as a reason to kill unborn yes, children? Absolutely. It really offends me because what they're saying is what you're saying to me, a disabled person, that I don't have, I shouldn't be here. And it's deeply, deeply offensive. And who are we to make that judgment? That's who right. is worthy of life and who is not? So, yes. So Now, Pastor Steve, as you know, abortion is a really divisive and a, a highly emotional issue. We, we certainly um, find that out on our college campus outreaches, though most of the time the discussions have proven to be pretty uh, impactful and, and, and helpful for, for everybody involved. But abortion grieves the hearts of people of faith. It really does. And, and faced with the legality of abortion and its general acceptance in our current culture, um, how should we as believers confront those who facilitate it on one hand, and then those who participate in it. Sure, and probably my answer might be a little different than others, and that and that's okay. Um, yeah. I'm not an expert on life and abortion and conception, and I'm not a doctor and and and, and not the medical kind, and um, so that's not my job. What my job is is to present the gospel okay. to to people um, because. A, a person, any person, whether it's a pro-abortion advocate or, or a young woman who just was tricked into it, they all have the same problem. And their problem is, is that they're separated from God by their own sin. Being involved in the abortion industry is simply one of a, of a countless number of sins that will get them judged by God. That will just be one of many. Right. Um, so my hope is to share the gospel with them. And even if they say, look, I don't want to talk about abortion. Okay, great. Well, let's talk about, you know, have you ever cheated on your taxes? Um, have you ever lied? What do you call people who lie? Well, they're liars. And the Bible says liars will have no part in the kingdom of heaven. So let's talk about your other sins. Um, so even if they say, well, I don't want to talk about that subject or, or that's too sensitive. Great. We'll come back to that because we want to hit their hearts. We want the gospel to do its work. Mm-hmm. Um, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who will believe. And when the Lord changes their heart to worship Christ instead of worship self, their stance on abortion will change. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, yeah. I think the the confrontation part is, is our job on duty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which we do with a, a, an intent to change hearts and minds sure. and do it in a persuasive and compassionate but direct manner. That's right. Maybe not as direct as you. <laughs> but I wish I, we're going to learn. We're, we're going to learn. You know, you read the book of Acts and... 
Paul and Peter, these guys were direct with oh, the gospel. Very much so. Uh, in fact, there's a school of thought that says uh, when you're preaching, you should never use the word you and point your finger. I would encourage people to read all the sermons in the book of Acts, and they'll, you'll find they use the word you about three sentences in. They're, they're pointing fingers saying, right. you need to be warned. You need to run from your sin. You need to come to Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so th- so we warn and we, we encourage and we exhort toward the gospel. And when somebody's heart is changed and they're a new creation in Christ, everything changes, including right. their view on abortion. Right. That's exciting. Now, um, what... Uh, what biblical words we we talk about, and this is huge for women who've had abortions. They they're just sometimes find uh, women do find it difficult to lay that that remorse at the foot of the cross, and they just kind of live it. And you know, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways that are they're not good. And so, what biblical words of hope and healing can you share with women who are struggling with the guilt and the grief in the aftermath of abortion? And just, you know, can you kind of encapsulate that? Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, I have a lot of compassion for women who have had abortions because there, there are some sins you can undo. Right. If you fail to pay your taxes and you become a Christian, you can go back and say, I'm going to pay my taxes that I cheated on, but you can never unmurder that baby. You can never get them back. Mm-hmm. So I always have two two lines of hope. And, and this is not for the woman who's trying to justify her actions. The, the gospel needs to do further work in her life. This is for the woman who's broken mm-hmm. and who, who maybe thinks she's unforgivable. Um, but the, the two lines of hope, the first one is just has to do with the scope of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. For three hours on the cross, he took the wrath of God for every single person who would ever believe in him, every single sin. And he said, when that time was done, it is finished. And that's hard for us to comprehend. But um, the book of Psalms says that God has taken your sins and he has cast them as far as the east is from the west. He sunk them to the bottom of the ocean. And think about this. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, every single person hearing this broadcast had never committed a single sin yet. And yet he said, it's finished. Romans chapter five says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so there's no end in grace. It, it's, it's endless. You may have had one abortion. You may have had 10. You may have performed 10,000 abortions. The forgiveness of Christ is available. And just to make sure we know this, the Bible is littered with former murderers who now are people we will see in heaven. Moses, Paul, David, these are all great men of God who killed other human beings mm-hmm. and were forgiven. So that's the first line of hope. Can I okay. give you the other one? Sure. The other one real fast. No, no, no rush. We good. The only way to see your little one again is to come to faith in Christ because God in his sovereignty has taken 60 million aborted children in America and taken them to heaven. They're there now. Now the Bible doesn't tell us whether they go as babies or adults or mm-hmm. how that works, but if... A, a woman says, I can't believe I'll never see that child again. That's not true. You come to faith in Christ, you'll have the greatest reunion of all time. I, I know a woman who's had, um, I believe, uh, seven miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And she has learned to rejoice that she's got a whole basket full of kids waiting for her in heaven. So uh, those are the two lines of hope. The gospel, the cross, is big enough to encompass all your sin and that child, you can meet him again. And how about this one? 
the forgiven abortion doctor can go to heaven and meet the thousands of children he killed and they can all say, I'm here by the grace of God. It's okay. Wow. That just seems inconceivable. And I think for a lot of women, they're going to, they say to themselves, no, that's that, but abortion, that's the unforgivable sin. No. The Is only, there, there, what's the only unforgivable sin? Not believing the gospel. Right. Because God won't forgive somebody who thinks they don't need to be forgiven. The, the, the sick need a physician. The righteous don't. Right. right. The self-righteous don't. Right. So I think, I think you have given a lot of women hope today. You also said, uh, while we pray for a change in abortion laws, changing the law will not change a single heart. Uh, and that's very true. And we need to be aware of that because if Roe v. Wade were overturned tomorrow, uh, that would simply, and I think people, yeah, I mean, it would be amazing and we pray for that, but it would simply hand it down to the states. And here in California, we are ground zero in America for abortions, more abortions than anybody. We we do late-term abortions in California already at UC San Francisco. They train people to do late-term abortions. So... Californians have a lot of work to do. That's right. Um, we need to to work together. We need to stop sending people to Sacramento who will, you know, keep this abortion mill turning. And uh, we do need to to turn back to the Lord. But but um, how do we as individuals and then secondarily as a culture um, go about changing hearts for the sake of our unborn children? I, I hate to be boringly repetitive, but I probably have to go back to the gospel. Oh, because, he's doing that again. <laughs> because, um, and it's great. I, I think, I think it, there is a place for um, using whatever, whatever legal means we have to change laws, change, change uh, lawmakers. That's the great mm-hmm. thing about being in America. You don't like the lawmaker, you can change him. Right. Um, but for us as Christians, our number one goal is the Great Commission to teach people to love and obey Christ, that will change way more than laws will. Uh, I, you know, I said this on, on Sunday um, in our live stream, since we're just live streaming these days, um, yes. that I wish there were 10,000 Christian attorneys that were just bulldogs for things that are right and to, to take the proper channels. But as individual Christians, sure, get involved. Praise the Lord for right to life. Praise the Lord for organizations like that. Um, but proclaim the gospel. Get one pro-abortion advocate saved. You've just saved thousands of lives. Wow. It's it's hard to think in those terms, but it is. Yeah, we absolutely do need to do that. Judy, did you have a question? Well, I just want to say that I listened to both sermons, um, and I want to encourage anyone um, listening to go and listen to your sermons. One, the Mother's Day one was in May of 2017. The other one talking about the pro, uh, the spiritual aspect of the pro-abortion advocate is in July of 2019. And I want to say... Listen from beginning to end. Now, Pastor Steve, you yourself said you're very out there and, and you're blunt and you're in the face, but you ended both of those sermons with so much grace and the reminder that we are forgiven, whether we are the one that we can be forgiven if we seek it, if we ask for forgiveness, whether we are the one who has performed the abortion, supported it, funded it, or we are the woman who has had that abortion, there is forgiveness at the cross. So I want to encourage everyone. Listen from beginning to end on both of those sermons. I came away so incredibly blessed. Praise the Lord. So I guess my thought would be, too, if you could say one last thing um, to someone who may be listening, what would that one last thing be that you'd like to say? Oh, the, the grace of God is endless. 
It's endless. And the more you've sinned, the more glory he gets um, for saving you from what you might have thought was an unsavable life. And uh, his sovereignty is so beautiful, so big. Um, at the end of all time, when you see how he worked all things together for your good and for his glory, you'll, you'll just marvel and we'll spend all of eternity marveling at this, that yes, God will be glorified even through 60 million abortions, that he hates those and yet he uses them uh, for his own purposes. I don't know how, but the Bible says he does. Romans yes. eight twenty eight says he will. Um, so grace is available. Come to the cross, but you get one chance. Hebrews 9, 27 says, it is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, along with three times in the book of Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Very good. Pastor Steve Swartz, thank you so, so much for My joining pleasure. us last Saturday and today. Uh, it was uh, real educational for both of us. I think you probably uh, blessed a lot of our listeners today. I hope so. So thank I you so, so much. Uh, that is Pastor Steve Swartz, again, with Grace Bible Church of Bakersfield. Please go to their website and listen to those sermons. It's GBCOB. Org. Pastor, thank you once again for joining us. Please join us next Saturday at 7 a.m. when Judy and I will be back to talk about defending the unborn. And just be blessed and safe this week. Thank you and God bless. Thanks for listening in today. Please join us next Saturday at 7 a.m. for another Voices for Life broadcast as we continue to proclaim the sanctity of innocent human life and advocate for the most vulnerable among us. Find Right to Life of Kern County on Facebook or on our website at rtlkc.org.